0: if at any point throughout this episode you're interested in supporting Blue Dragon links to donate will be in the description hey guys welcome back to Flipside Fluent I'm
1: Gabby and I'm Georgia and today we've got a really really awesome guest coming on so we're going to be joined by Michael Brzozowski yeah so he's the um founder of Blue Dragon which is an anti-slavery organization based over in Vietnam and the work he's done is honestly beyond incredible Mm -hmm. so we're really keen just to dive into such a different um, topic for us and, and something yeah. that's really important and just shed some light on it.
0: Yeah, it's definitely an issue that I feel like we don't cover that much in Australia and so I'm really, mm. really excited to kind of become more aware ourselves yeah. and, and hopefully yeah, hopefully share some of that insight with you guys. Hi Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. So we're so excited to get into all the work you've done um, with Blue Dragon. But before we get into that, do you mind just telling us a bit about yourself and how you ended up in Vietnam?
2: Sure, sure. I'm a, a high school teacher from, from Australia. I, I used to teach in Sydney uh, as an ESL teacher, um, where a lot of my students were uh, the children of Vietnamese immigrants, uh, as, as well as children from all around the world. And, and I came to Vietnam first on holiday and, and I was really impressed by the country, uh, by, by the spirit that it had its, um, it's hunger for education. And, and so I moved here in 2002 and I've been living here in Vietnam ever since, um, and, uh, and and working with Blue Dragon Children's Foundation. Wow.
1: And how did you first notice that there was an issue of human trafficking when you were in Vietnam?
2: Well, Blue Dragon first started as an organisation helping street children in Hanoi. Uh, we Initially, we didn't think we were going to deal with this issue of human trafficking, mm. but where we first encountered it, was, was actually um, on, on a trip that I had to Ho Chi Minh City in the mm-hmm. south of Vietnam, where I, I noticed a boy on the street selling flowers and, and every time he sold a flower, uh, he would walk to the end of the alleyway where we were and he'd give money to some women who were sitting there. And, and so I knew enough to recognize that something was wrong mm-hmm. and I got chatting with him uh, and, and he, was, he had a very distinct accent. So throughout Vietnam, there are very different accents in different regions, and he clearly was not from Ho Chi Minh City. Mm. So just chatting with him, uh, I, I realized what, it, what had happened, and, and he was desperate to get out. So that was my first encounter, actually, of domestic trafficking, whereas now we tend to work a lot more in, in the trafficking across the border into China.
1: How did Blue Dragon first come about and like, go about in finding people who have been trafficked with
2: with that little boy um i I helped him to, to leave uh that situation and to get back to his countryside um used a bit of bluff and bluster with the with the traffickers uh and and he went back and and then my staff traveled from our from our headquarters here in hanoi to that little boy's village and we discovered that it was quite a big issue it wasn't just this one child and 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 we learned that there were different kinds of trafficking. So the kids weren't only being taken to sell flowers on the street, even though that was happening. There were also lots of kids in sweatshops, uh, mostly garment factories, often small home-based factories. And, and so we, uh, we explored this, we investigated and, and got some evidence of it and took it back to the families of those children. They thought that their children were were learning a trade. A lot of them Mm -hmm. thought their their children were were actually going to school and studying. Once they could see clearly that that was not happening, they asked us, please bring our children home. Mm -hmm. And so that was the start of our rescue operations, which we continue today.
0: Wow, wow. Yeah. So, what was the process there? I mean, between like noticing an issue and then actually starting Blue Dragon, like, what was the process behind? Um, developing like a non-profit in a foreign country and really like bringing that into fruition. So that,
2: that takes me back to 2002 when uh, I was here in Hanoi and, and uh, seeing street children. So, you know, mm-hmm. b- both with our work with street children and, and with human trafficking, uh, you know, we started dealing with those issues without having any experience in it, without, mm-hmm. without actually knowing how a, a non-profit is meant to work and what mm-hmm. we're meant to do. But it was a very human response that we had. Mm. We saw that there were people in need, and we just asked ourselves, "What can we do?" Mm. So initially, with street children, my answer was, "I could teach English." Uh, that was my training. That was my qualification, uh, and and that was a need among the children. They could see that if they studied English, they could uh, make more money on the street. Uh, you know, they could talk to foreigners. They could they could bargain for better prices. Mm. <laughs> Uh, and, and so I started an English class and other Vietnamese people uh, joined me in that. And we started to te- subjects as well. Uh, we started uh, um, teaching, uh, uh, running a football club, which which still runs today. Uh, and, and so it was just a matter of getting in there, you know, rolling up our sleeves and mm. and just trying something, doing something.
3: Mm.
2: And, and once we had done that, there was momentum that, mm. OK, now this is happening. What do we do with it? And so we formed Blue Dragon.
1: Wow, that's amazing. Momentum is really everything we always say. Yeah. Um, in terms of human trafficking, for like people who don't know, how big is the extent of human trafficking currently? Mm.
2: Well, actually, nobody really knows. Yeah. There's, a, there's a global indicator uh, that's published annually by the Walker Free Foundation, and, and they're estimating that it's over 40 million people oh. are in slavery right at the moment. Now, that, that might be right, but, but actually it's notoriously difficult to get data on this. Mm. So when I look at the statistics for Vietnam, for example, uh, I don't know the statistics here,
3: mm-hmm.
2: nobody does, but, but I do believe that they're underestimated. Uh, yeah. The problem with trafficking, if I can explain why it's so difficult, yeah. um, if you go up into the mountains of Northern Vietnam, where where people might not speak the language that we call Vietnamese so mm-hmm. in Vietnam there are actually many languages mm-hmm. more than more than 60 languages mm-hmm. uh, if, if you go up into the mountains where you have those ethnic minority groups uh, and you ask people um, are, are your children here or are they missing people will say well my, my children aren't here they've they've gone away to work somewhere and if you probe further if you ask do you know where they are? Well, no, they left two years ago. And finally, if you ask, so were they trafficked? The answer would be no, 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 they, they weren't trafficked. They, they went with someone who came to the village offering jobs. They have gone to work somewhere. So, so there's often just a complete misunderstanding mm-hmm. about what human trafficking is. Mm-hmm. And, and across regions within Vietnam, let alone across the world, there are very different understandings. There are different Uh, legal definitions of trafficking Mm -hmm. and all it all it adds up to is a huge mess of Mm -hmm. we don't know and in a way that's okay you know if if you if you're in a boat that's full of water you don't need to know exactly how many cubic meters of water are there before you start grabbing a bucket and throwing the water out right you just start when Mm -hmm. i think when trafficking is a lot more under control it will help to be to have a lot more accurate data because then you'll know exactly where that help is needed mm. but for now even though the data is really poor we can still do something we don't have to wait
0: definitely so, yeah. i'd be interested in knowing in terms of like combating the issue what do blue dragon do like on a day-to-day basis
2: well I, i've mentioned that we started out helping those children uh, who were trafficked within vietnam uh, and, and and they were mostly going to, to sweatshops in southern Vietnam. We don't do that anymore because we're not needed anymore. Mm-hmm. So we started a process of, in, first of all, investigating. We would go to the villages where the children were being taken from. They were in certain regions of Vietnam. One was in Hue province, in the center, and, and one was in Dien Bien province, in the northwest mountains. So we'd go and we'd talk to families, we'd explain what had happened if their children were, were actually going to, to these uh, garment factories, and, and we would get their permission to bring their children home. Mm. Now, often these parents were illiterate, and their permission might be a thumbprint on a piece of paper. Mm. We would then travel to Ho Chi Minh City, and we'd search for those factories. The, the parents didn't know where the children were. Uh, if we were lucky, the parents had a mobile telephone number for, for the factory owner. And and so we would investigate and find the factories. And initially, we would go into the factories ourselves and say to the owners, these children are coming with us. Uh, Over time, the the factory owners knew that we might be coming and and they would get more hostile and aggressive. Mm -hmm. So we changed our approach and and we would take police with us. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and then once the children were were set free, they would give statements to the police and, and we would take them home. Um, now, that went on for about 10 years, but it got to the point that the factory owners gave up. Right? They, they eventually said, look, this is too difficult, it's too risky, let's just hire adults. And, and so our work there has largely failed. But while we were doing that, we also came across the issue of Vietnamese uh, girls and women, sometimes boys and men also, but, but mostly girls and women being trafficked into China. And And mostly for sexual exploitation, so to be mm-hmm. sold into brothels or or as brides against their will. Mm-hmm. and And the methodology was was always the same variations on a thing that they would be tricked into doing this. Mm-hmm. They would think they were going on a short trip with someone they knew and trusted, or that they were going for a job and they were perfectly safe and they could come back anytime they wanted. And once they crossed the border, they were uh, taken as as slaves. Um, so again, Blue Dragon's work is to investigate, to try to find out where these people are, uh, and then to help them to escape that, and then report to the police. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's an ongoing process. As mm-hmm. I'm talking to you today, we're, we're very, very close to reaching our 1,000th rescue. Mm-hmm. I think that by the end of 2020, we'll have rescued 1,000 people from from slavery. Uh, and, and so this method that we have really works, Mm -hmm. um, there will always be more rescues to do. And, and, you know, we're looking to, how do we get past that? How do we get to a point where we don't have to rescue anymore, Mm -hmm. but, but we're about to hit our 1000th rescue.
1: That's amazing. Uh, How does it differ when, when it comes to being trafficked across, um, internationally? How do you work with, um, the Chinese government to try and get these people back? To Vietnam.
2: The very first time that we did a rescue in China, it, it was not what it was meant to be. We, we were actually meant to just go there and look for someone, and if we could find their location, we were going to report to the police. Um, but it got a bit out of hand, and, and my staff ended up basically running for their lives with two girls who they'd rescued. And and they, they kind of ran into the arms of the Chinese military, who said, what are you doing here? You know. What, what's going on and detained our people um, but, but later on discovered that, that actually the, these two Blue Dragon staff had done something quite good and, mm. and the military then went and set uh, some more girls free, four more girls from that brothel and, and arrested the brothel owners. So that was our first rescue where we didn't actually work at all with the Chinese government mm. um, and, and it could have gone very badly. At the end of that rescue, we said, never again, that's it. You know, we shouldn't do this. Uh, that was not meant to happen. So so for some years we didn't, but but then later on we started getting more calls for help. Mm. So now if, if we can uh, simply inform the Chinese police and, and they will do the rescue, then that's what we do. Mm. Uh, but, but sometimes there might be an urgency or a special sensitivity that might mean uh, somebody from Blue Dragon needs to to find that person uh, in China and get them to safety. But we still always report to the Chinese police, at least when we get back to the border with China, mm-hmm. when, when we're absolutely certain that it's safe. Uh, in, in fact, during this year, during coronavirus, mm-hmm. we haven't been so able to rescue in China. We've still been rescuing uh, victims of trafficking there. But more than that, we've been receiving uh, victims of trafficking who have been rescued by the Chinese police and handed across the border. So even just this morning, we we received two women and a five-year-old boy who were trafficked. And and we don't even know their full story yet, but they're now in our care. Uh, and, and so that has greatly increased. And that's a terrific sign that actually the Chinese government is doing a lot more uh, than, than we are, as, as you would expect. <laughs>
0: yeah. I'd be interested in getting into that. You mentioned um, the coronavirus and how that's impacted it. How has that impacted your work within Vietnam as well?
2: Yeah, my the, the analogy I use is it's like a, a grenade going off mm-hmm. in a situation that was already volatile. Mm-hmm. So we have a process, you know, both for working with street children and uh, finding people who've been trafficked. We, you know, we have staff who have done this, Dozens and dozens, hundreds, go, now going into thousands of times. It's not easy, and and every case is different. But we kind of, you know, we have certain processes and systems in place. Coronavirus has upended that. So the the example of China is a is a is a good one where, uh, you know, our method relies on us being able to travel uh, freely and legally through through China, but once coronavirus hit borders were closed, not only international, but within countries as well. Uh, And and so there we've had to rely a lot more uh, on working with um, Chinese partners and police to to get people to safety. Um, Whereas last year and in previous years, we've done a lot of rescues ourselves and also received some people rescued by the Chinese police. This year, our, our data is coming out the opposite that we've rescued a few people and received a lot of people. Uh, now, in, here in Hanoi, where we work with street children, we've seen a doubling of the number of, of homeless children on the streets. Uh, so, so our work has grown uh, and, and also changed. Within Vietnam, we're seeing some different kinds of trafficking as well that, that we hadn't really seen before. So everything is different uh, and, and we've had to constantly shift our work during this year.
1: What, um, you mentioned that um, you've been seeing different kinds of trafficking, what are like the kind of basic forms of trafficking?
2: Well, the, most of the trafficking that we deal with uh, is, is to do with, with girls and women being deceived and, and largely they're being offered opportunities, so uh, women in maybe a very poor area uh, being offered a job um, so that they can support their family. So it's a very exploitative approach to, to begin with. And, and sometimes the, the trafficking is based on a relationship. So a girl going out with a boy who, who she thinks loves her, uh, but, but in the end is a trafficker. Um, so what we've seen this year, because of, because of COVID-19, people need more opportunities. Uh, there's one estimation that about 30 million people in Vietnam Either lost their job or, or reduced their income or their working hours. Mm. It's a country of 100 million people, and 30 million people have been adversely affected. So this is a field day for the for the traffickers. A lot more people now are desperate for a job, and you have people who maybe were the the sole breadwinner for their family. Maybe they they live in in the countryside that come into the cities and were working in hospitality, and every month their salary was going home to support their mum and dad and their brothers and sisters to go to school and to be able to eat. So what's happened now, those jobs are gone. It's not only one person who loses an income, it's a whole family, sometimes an extended family. So now the traffickers are are more able to say, hey, look, I do know a place where, where there's a job, come with me you know, everything will be okay. We've seen, for example, groups of girls, uh, up to six girls at a time, being taken within Vietnam on the promise of jobs and being sold into karaoke bars that are fronts for brothels. Uh, We've seen Hmong men who live normally on the tops of mountains, being trafficked to the ocean to be sold onto fishing boats uh and and we've seen quite a few cases of of pregnant women being trafficked uh towards china but fortunately being stopped um uh along the way being trafficked so that their babies could be sold in china mm. so so all of these sorts of trafficking you know we, we've come across them here and there before but they've escalated because mm. the traffickers see it so much more opportunity
0: mm. yeah. Is there, um, does your organisation focus at all on like increasing awareness in those um, communities of yeah, recognizing traffickers and things like that?
2: Yeah, oh, awareness is helpful in some contexts yeah. to some extent. Okay. So for example, when we were working on that issue of children being trafficked to, to sweatshops, that was, a, that was a situation where a kind of awareness was helpful because actually the parents had no idea mm. what was happening. They, they thought their children were going to study. They were allowing their children to go, not knowing that those people were traffickers.
3: Mm.
2: So it was a very geographically bound kind of trafficking. It was happening in certain areas. And so we could go to those areas and we could talk with the families. And What we found was very, very helpful was community meetings. So not mm. mass media, not putting the Blue Dragon logo on big posters, but sitting down with people, usually mm. sitting down with mums, mm. and just talking to them, showing them photos, and, 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 and also listening to what they had to say. Mm. That was super effective. Once families had been through that process, they were not going to let their child go uh, to, to work somewhere. Mm. This issue of the trafficking to China is very different. Awareness is not very helpful. Everyone is aware of it. But remember that the girl or the woman being trafficked, she thinks she's going with someone that she knows. Mm. These traffickers might build up a relationship over weeks or months, sometimes a year, and and then they invite them, come with me. It's always a very uh, realistic uh, offer. the the woman has every reason to believe that she's going with someone that she trusts. Mm. What is helpful is training border guards, training police who might be able to identify it mm. and also helping them to be at, more able to understand Vietnamese law, knowing how to put a case together. Uh, what helps is prosecution of traffickers, mm. making sure that traffickers get sentenced to prison and that everyone knows about that. Now that's a deterrent for traffickers. So that's looking more on the trafficker side, right, than than looking on the the victim side.
3: Mm.
2: Um, And finally, you know, if people have opportunity at home, then they don't need to go with a trafficker. They they don't need to take that risk. So part of this is about creating opportunity, developing livelihoods, helping people uh, to buy livestock, for example, helping people start businesses, or or simply keeping them in school, so that when the trafficker comes along and says, do you want to come with me? They're not even considering it. I don't need to. I've got everything I need right here. So so there's a lot of different things, and awareness has some role to play, but not as much role as people often think.
0: Mm. So in terms of supporting these communities and victims of trafficking, um how is blue dragon supported and i'd be interested to know um, how does the vietnamese government support the organization
2: yeah well you know community by community is very very different there's one there's one community where we work where where the uh, typically women grow corn and they grow it in in, it's an extremely mountainous area if you or i looked at that area we would say no you can't you can't farm in this area (laughs) It's like that you're looking at the side of a cliff and these women grow corn. They traditionally, or in in, in the last 20 years or so, they've been using a lot of chemicals on the corn for pesticide and for, for fertilizer, and they're not getting very good results. And because of that, they're prone to trafficking. They're not earning a lot of money. So when someone comes along and, you know, especially when they've had a bad harvest, Someone comes and says, oh, look, that's all right, come with me. I know this place where you can work. So we had a look there and, and, uh, and we could see if these women could have a better yield, if they could harvest more corn, they'd be safer. We brought in some partners because we're not corn growers as, as a children's foundation, <laughs> but we found some people who knew more than we did, brought them in, and we taught them organic corn growing. And we, it was a very small sample, it was six families and their yield was like three times the yield of everyone around them using the normal method.
3: Wow.
2: Well, now everyone in that community is starting to grow organic corn. Now that's in one area. In another area, we've taught people how to, how to raise fish in lagoons. Uh, in other areas, we've helped families to buy buffalo or to buy chickens. Uh, But ultimately, don't forget, sometimes people actually want to go to university or want to finish grade 12 and and go off and get a job in hospitality or whatever it is. So community by community and family by family, there are very different solutions. Mm -hmm. And you asked also about the Vietnamese government's role in this. Mm -hmm. And that's really important. Blue Dragon is not a a huge NGO uh, and, and even if we were, some of the problems we're talking about here really need a macro solution. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't generate thousands and millions of new jobs mm-hmm. and that's what's needed. And, and so what we can do, our role is more like plugging the gaps mm-hmm. where, where maybe the Vietnamese government has a plan and, and has implemented some economic measures uh, or, or has developed an industrial zone, for example. But we can find the families who still miss out on that Maybe the families who are just too poor or don't have the education to even get started. Families that don't have legal paperwork. A lot of people in Vietnam don't have a birth certificate. So they don't apply, they, you know, they can't even apply for government support. Mm-hmm. So we can help them. And while we do that, if we can show the Vietnamese government, look, this is what Blue Dragon has done and this works really well. Um, you can do that as well, and and we can show them how to, how we've done it, uh, and then they can adopt the model that that we create, and and so in that way, you see, there's an interplay between an organisation like Blue Dragon and the Vietnamese government, where we're doing different things, but what we do complement each other.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. Both like the role of the micro and macro to create change. Um, you did mention that the macro is exceptionally important in actually creating that change as well. What would you say are like the biggest issues or like need? What's the biggest like need for reform?
2: A good sustainable development. Mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, that, you know, the phrase sustainable development um, is, is kind of misused. Uh, it, it's become a generic term where anything is called sustainable development. What I mean is, um, the, the creation of industry and jobs that is good for the environment and good for the population. Yeah. So to, to, to explain a little what I mean there, there has been a, a huge growth in manufacturing in Vietnam. And, and that's been terrific for the Vietnamese economy. What I worry is it's created a lot of pollution and a lot of the jobs there are, are jobs that don't really have a great future. Uh, you, you know, you can work in that job for 10 years, and at the end of it, you're not actually skilled to do something else. Now, those jobs have been good because people have been able to earn an income. And, and a lot of people now are joining the Vietnamese middle class. So, so I'm not, I don't want to say this was a mistake, should never have done that. But it's like the next phase is thinking, how do we make these jobs good for everyone, good for the society, good for the environment? Uh, and and we can see that there are opportunities, especially in alternative energy. For example, uh, Vietnam still relies a lot on on the traditional coal and oil, uh, but there's massive opportunity here. You know, I'm looking out my window at a very sunny day. There's mm-hmm. there, there's so much opportunity there, and 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 those sustainable industries bring with them millions of jobs.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I think. If Vietnam can start making the shift in that direction, and I do believe that that there's that potential and it may have already started, um, this will help a lot in, you know, coincidentally, in reducing issues like human trafficking and homelessness.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. I love how Blue Dragon takes such a multifaceted approach at actually really helping the root causes. And and helping people get out of um, poverty—it's it's so beautiful. Where do you think um, Blue Dragons kind of headed in in down the line?
2: We're, we're a very organic organisation, and we we do have strategic uh, vision. For example, we, we 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 have a document that we've written explaining exactly how we work, mm-hmm. but actually long term plans we've realized are just not helpful. And, yeah. and 2020, by the way, I've got to say has proven us right. <laughs>
3: yeah. Planning, plan planning is too.
2: something you can think about it, but hey, you've got no control in the end. Yeah. We'll always be working with children who are homeless. We'll always be working on human trafficking.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, those issues will take different forms over time. Mm-hmm. Now, for example, when we started working with street children here in Hanoi, they were mostly children who had come from the countryside with their parents' permission, sometimes their mother had come as well, Mm. and they were earning money and sending that home each month. Mm. After a few years, there were some changes in in things in the cities, and and so children weren't so safe to work on the street. Mm. Uh, They they could be detained um, and and sent to, to sort of um detention centers and and facilities that they didn't want to go to so they had to go underground and and that meant that whereas earlier they'd been shining shoes and selling postcards now they started stealing things they were robbing people committing crimes as a way of surviving then of course the police had to crack down on that and so the children changed their 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 work again and, and then we were dealing with a lot of children Who were being sexually exploited for money and and so you know our street children's program one single program over the course of 15 years has gone through these major changes we don't know what that next change will be and that's the challenge for us Mm -hmm. same as with human trafficking we don't know what it will look like in five years so instead of us saying you know this is what we're going to do in five years or in 10 years Mm -hmm. We have to build an organization that can pivot quickly, that, that can adapt no matter what the situation is. And 2020 has been the ultimate test of that. And, and I think we've passed quite well uh, in, in showing our ability. I mean, we, it looks like we're growing at the moment. Um, I, we didn't mean to. In fact, we, we, we thought, look, we're really gonna have to batten down the hatches. We're gonna have to slow down. It looks like we're, we're growing again. And it's because there are so many needs and so many new needs that we just have to run to to catch up to it Mm -hmm. Um, we'll keep working on these issues and and we'll keep with our our model of working on the ground you know working with individual people while looking up to that macro level saying so what laws could change here to make things better what what new policies could there be that would reduce trafficking or that would support homeless children.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, this coming year, uh, we, we will be working with the Vietnamese government on a revision of the anti-trafficking law. Mm-hmm. So every 10 years, all of the major laws automatically come up for review. Uh, now, with our experience, you know we've rescued a thousand people from trafficking. We've been in over a hundred court cases representing survivors of trafficking. We've got a lot to say about the current law. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of ideas about how it could be strengthened. So in this coming year, that's one of the main things that we'll be doing. And because of that, trafficking will be impacted. Hopefully, things will be much better after this revision of the law. And then I'm sure there'll be new challenges (laughs) for us to deal with.
0: Mm I I imagine that you're leading a very adaptable team. Um, Yes. I'd also be interested in kind of getting into how you, um, or how the organization supports um, the victims that you rescue.
2: Yeah, uh, and, and that's a really good point because so far I've been talking mostly about rescue yeah. and, and then you know, changing laws, yeah. but there's a lot in between that. Mm. So we see ourselves as having a responsibility there. If we get somebody home from trafficking, we can't just drop them off and say, you know, good luck with everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we actually see a responsibility to continue helping. I do have to say sometimes we we rescue somebody who doesn't want any further help. They mm-hmm. might want to go straight from the border back to their home.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And if that's what they want, then that's fine. Um, they can call us anytime. time our, uh, our offer of support never, ever ends. More typically, Young, young women, uh, teenage girls will come back with us. We'll offer emergency accommodation. We'll help them make statements to police. We'll take them for medical checkups. We have psychologists on staff who will offer counselling and support uh, for as long as they want. Uh, and we have social workers who will help them enroll in school, uh, find jobs, find accommodation. Uh, now, that service, as I say, it, it lasts as long as people want. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of the most powerful things that we do for survivors of trafficking is the family reunion, where, where we'll accompany them home. Um, it's it's a very, very emotional moment when someone is back with their family. Uh, we've brought women home who were trafficked decades ago, more than 20 years. Their whole family thinks that they're dead. Um, People people never expect to see them again. Sometimes they've had funerals to say goodbye. Um, sometimes we bring home teenage girls who who disappeared six months previously, and their parents thought that they'd run away, or that they'd been kidnapped and 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 would never be home again. So so supporting families to come back together and to live together is incredibly powerful and important. Mm
0: yeah wow that's yeah it's so beautiful to hear stories like that and the work you guys do is so amazing i think that a lot of people would have experiences where they see issues and want to make a change but don't necessarily know how to go about that change or um a kind of unaware of the processes that it would take to actually um make and create impact and change What what would you say are the things that really got you through that process of starting an organization, um, and kind of making an idea a
2: reality. Yeah, I, I, there wasn't really a point you know, where I, I said, I want to start an organization, mm-hmm. so I'm going to start helping children. It started, it was the other way around.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I saw people who needed help, and I just did what I could.
3: Mm-hmm. And,
2: and everyone doing, everyone watching this, this uh, discussion can do that. It, it might mean helping the, the little old lady next door who, who needs a, a, a home-cooked meal every now and then. It, it might be volunteering at a refugee centre or, or helping out at a, at a facility for stray cats. You know, every single one of us can do something where we are and then just watch for that opportunity. If, if there is an opportunity then to make that something bigger and if that's what you want to do, then you can take it. Um, we, I, I, I do remember the point where we realized we, we kind of need to start an organization here. And, and that was because it was just growing out of control. And I was here as a foreigner in Vietnam. Uh, it, it, it had to be registered, you know, the, the Vietnamese government was starting to look at me and, and the Vietnamese volunteers and the foreign volunteers who were with us and saying, well, who are you? You know, in, in a country like Vietnam, the government needs to know who we are. Uh, We need to to be registered. And so we did. In other places, you you might not need to do that. You know, you don't always have to register an organization and start a charity. Sometimes you do, Um, but whatever form it is, whether it's just you going out on your own on the weekends uh, to to visit somebody in in a shelter uh, or or to pick up rubbish from the beach uh, or, or whether it's forming something more substantial, I think that everyone can do something, uh, and and honestly, you know, all of us in Blue Dragon believe if we all did something, then then we'd have an amazing world, uh, and I, and I think we all want that, right?
3: Well,
1: definitely, yeah, I completely agree. I think it's so amazing. It's just seeing and hearing about all the work that you do is just so inspiring. I definitely think that everybody needs to get involved in something. It's it's such a rewarding feeling, just doing something for the sake of being a good human being I, I guess also what you mentioned just about
0: like everyone doing their little part it's like such small incremental changes you mentioned like visiting someone in a shelter that takes what like half a day and it's like it's sometimes you only look at like a really big picture and think like I can't change that but if it actually comes down to like all the little small steps
2: like there's so much potential we can all play part. that's exactly right that's exactly right -hmm. and and i i kind of have a um a view on this that that's a little bit uh hard to explain Mm
3: -hmm.
2: i i do believe that you know organizations like blue dragon that that we should be looking at systemic change how to improve laws how to change things but i equally believe that if all we ever did was help one person to escape from slavery if that was the only thing we had done that in itself would have been worthwhile so i am a strong believer that everything is about individuals and if we can also mm-hmm. change that systemic level then that also makes things better for everyone um never never think that helping one person or changing one life is too small to be important mm-hmm. yeah
0: definitely I think that- um, just for our listeners and even for us, if we wanted to go about like supporting Blue Dragon, what are the best ways that we could do that?
2: Well, look, we, we really encourage people to to donate to us, and and we're talking about how helping one person is is not a small thing. Um, it's the same with donating. We have a lot of support from people who send us five dollars a month or ten dollars a month. You know, we have an online community called Dragon Wings where where people send whatever amount they choose each month and and that money is is combined with other people's money and goes to helping with all the sorts of issues that I've talked about today. So whether it's a you know it's a one-off donation of twenty dollars at Christmas or or if it's signing up to Dragon Wings for five dollars a month, that really helps. I mean follow us on, on Facebook and, and Twitter and social media. Um, le- keep learning about these issues. If, if what we're talking about today inspires you or challenges you uh, or, or encourages you to do some good, then keep following us. Keep getting involved in the conversation. Don't walk away thinking that was nice and then just go back to where you were. Let it change you, let it impact you. I can see that that's where you're coming from in, in setting up this discussion, <laughs> in setting up this regular podcast. You're wanting to create change. You can do it, okay? It's not beyond you. That's what I would say.
3: Awesome. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much. Um, this has been such an amazing chat, and I think both of us can agree it's so insightful. Um, like what you mentioned about, like, gaining awareness about these issues. Um, it's not something we've ever... We're so blessed to have not have to be exposed to, but it's so nice to hear about how... Um, we can make change together. So thank you so much.
2: Thank you, I I appreciate this chance to talk to you today.
3: That was awesome, have a good one Michael.